You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. This is Al Melkier. I am your host for the very next hour, starting right now. And joining me very, very soon is uh, Jessica Kleinschmidt, also from FanRag, also from FanDuel, FanGraphs, lots of other places. Uh, She's quickly becoming a regular on the show, and uh, she'll be joining us in just a moment. But uh, just looking ahead, we'll be talking about starting pitchers, because this is the week where we unveil our starting pitchers draft guide on FanRag. And we'll also be talking about some of our favorite late-round flyers, uh, some of the pitchers that are going today in spring training. Some of them, some of them have actually already pitched and are out of the game. We'll take a look at them and a lot, lot more. So, Jess, welcome once again to the show. Good to have you here. I'm glad you're not sick of me yet. <laughs> hardly, hardly. And, uh, yeah, no, we'll, we'll, you'll be a regular along with uh, several of our other fan rag writers. Uh, so, uh, great, as always, to have you on. And um, you know, before we dig into the meat of uh, spring training stuff, Jess, you had an appearance, uh, it was already today, right, uh, on uh, <laughs> Fantasy Sports Network? Is that right? Kind, kind of. I had a, bit, a lot of technical issues, um, but, you know, they love, they're so wonderful there, and they were cool about it. I, of course, was unbelievably embarrassed, and I was excited to talk about Mitch Hanniger, one of my favorite guys, but, you know, it's the whole techno- technology kind of blows sometimes. What are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> well put, Jess. Um, <laughs> I'll be on tomorrow. <laughs> It'll be, uh, uh, I think, at 1210 uh, Eastern uh, for about 10 minutes. And uh, mm-hmm. we'll have a different writer from uh, FanRag on each day this week. Uh, Bernie Pleskoff, our uh, prospects guru, will be on there. Jim Finch and Greg Jewett, who have both been on this show, uh, they'll be on as well. So uh, you can catch us on audio and video this week. So a uh, good deal there. And thanks to the, the people at uh, Fantasy Sports Network for, for having us. So uh, well, let's, uh, let's go right into the latest news. Um, not a lot of free agents out there, but one of the bigger names now that Matt Wieters has been off the market for a few days is Angel Pagan, and it appears mm-hmm. that the Nationals have some interest in bringing him aboard. That's maybe initially not looking like a, a big impact thing, or maybe even after initially, and you've thought about it a while, because the Nationals do have a, a solid starting outfield, obviously, and Bryce Harper, and now Adam Eaton joining the group there, Jason mm-hmm. Worth. But at least two of those names to me are, are ones I identify and associate with frequent injuries. Of course, those right. players being Harper and Worth. So I think whoever's a fourth outfielder for the mm-hmm. Nationals does have some potential fantasy impact. Um, what? How do you like Angel Pagan when he actually has an opportunity to play? Is he somebody that interests you? Yeah, he certainly does. But I think it's a big question mark at this point. The, the thing that people need to remember is he may start as like a minor league situation and people need to be mentally prepared for that. However, with that name, with um, you mentioned, there could be some injuries that occur. It's not necessarily a bad thing, especially in that organization. Obviously, you know, Trey Turner moved up really quickly um, and, and in of itself. And he has a really solid, you know, career line. Obviously he did well with the giants. 
So it's definitely something that people need to pay attention to, but don't get your heart broken if he starts off in a minor league deal if this does go through. So it could, it's, what's worse, it's not a bad scenario to have somebody like Angel Pagan as your fourth outfield. He's a veteran name. He's, he's very solid when he does, you know, get up there. He's not a bad guy I would stash away. I don't get too excited on a guy like Angel Pagan, but that's just kind of my scenario. Um, I actually have met him before, and he's probably one of the nicest guys in the world. And, you know, that, of course, isn't affect my fantasy picks but you know um he's 35 years old he spent his last five seasons with the giants like i mentioned that splash line is is pretty okay um 277 batting average which is you know not too bad but yeah absolutely if there's an injury situation that you need to worry about and he wants to be your fourth outfielder there's not many guys that i'd be too um, upset about to have on my on my team and with the free agents kind of becoming bare and not many outfielders you know with a name like that he's not the worst pick he does have a great name. I love mm-hmm. it. Angel Pagan. He does. He does. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Like the, 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 pun, the puns for you, you're probably going crazy. You're like, oh my he, gosh, I'm going to go crazy with all the puns, the puns I can use for this man. Yeah. Well, if it becomes fancy relevant, then, you know, the, the punny team name maybe comes into play there. Um, right. Not, not punny or funny, but uh, nonetheless, welcome news. Josh Donaldson is not uh, expected to miss time in the regular season. His, uh, his recovery from his calf injury is going well. And according to Jason Stark, he's already taking swings in the batting cage. That is Josh Donaldson mm-hmm. is taking swings, not Jason Stark. Just to be clear on that. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> Maybe he did it. I, w- I would be, I would be pumped. I'd be like, wow, adjust your fantasy teams accordingly. Jason's, Jason's stealthy, a stealthy pick for me this year. All right. Well, we're going to be talking about late round flares later, so maybe maybe we'll come back to that. Uh, Anthony Desclafani, <laughs> not great news for him, although supposedly nothing serious, but he was scratched from his start on Tuesday because of a tender elbow. But uh, all reports are that this is nothing serious. It's a precaution. That said, uh, when Desclafani had some injury issues last spring, I you know I was very big on Desclafani. I thought he had a chance to mm-hmm. be a big time strikeout surger and workhorse and he missed the first two months of the season so uh not saying that this turns into that but uh yeah in the case of donaldson sometimes we can overreact to things and sometimes we can underreact like last year with desclafani where i thought oh well he'll miss one start and he'll give me pretty much a whole season didn't work out that way so even though it's supposed to be just a precaution these are always situations to watch uh this early in the spring and yeah, I mean, better, he's actually yeah, one of my favorite. He was one of my favorite DFS pitchers um, towards the end of the season last season. Not a guy like I, I'd be pumped on on the season long scenario, but I mean, when it comes to the Reds, who are you really going to get excited about pitching wise? Nobody. But I called him Gwen Stefani because that was the easiest way to like pronounce how to say his name. But that was definitely something, some guy that I was actually excited for in a DFS perspective. Wouldn't you know any sort of trade scenario? I wasn't going to get high on, but he was definitely somebody I was excited to watch. And so I really hope he comes back from this. I'm sure it'll be fine, but you know, spring training is always, they're kind of exaggerating, right? They're kind of like, we want to make sure it's not too bad and they don't have to waste any kind of scenarios. So I'm sure he'll be fine. And I really am excited to see what he does. Um, and this time around, he proved himself a little bit last, last season. So maybe the confidence factor is there as well. Yeah, no, I, I'm excited too. And, and again, just hopeful that uh, after this uh, Tuesday scratch passes and he has, has some time to rest his elbow that uh, he'll get right back on track. Uh, Desclafani. You also just may not be the only person to think of him as Gwen Stefani. You may or may not be. I'm just saying. I I think I put it in some people's heads last year. So now, <laughs> you know, 
the banana songs stuck in their head, and you're welcome for that. B-A-N-A-N-A-S, yes. Uh, (laughs) Colton Wong is in the leadoff spot today uh, against the Mm -hmm. Red Sox. I have not checked in on that game uh, in the last few minutes or so. I did see he got a a walk earlier in the game, so uh, those shoulder concerns for Colton Wong. Now, it's something that I guess is still lingering for him, and it actually goes back to an injury he sustained last September. So just Mm -hmm. because he's in the lineup today and leading off against the Red Sox, doesn't necessarily mean he's completely out of the woods, but obviously a positive development to see Colton Wong back in game action today. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, go a little backwards here. We're going to look forward uh, to some of the players that are uh, playing today in the next segment, but I want to take a, a step back to yesterday's action and look at a few players. And this is, a for me, kind of a frustrating time to do analysis because, first of all, it's spring training. And just I don't know right. about you, I, I don't put a lot of stock into spring training numbers. Uh, there's basically two situations uh, that I can think of where I do that. One is if there's a position battle and a very mm-hmm. strong or a very weak string, a spring can be a difference maker in that position battle. And then the other is uh, with pitchers that have control issues because sometimes uh, if they do put that together in the spring – that can be a, a good sign that means something going forward. But generally speaking, I don't put a whole lot of stock in spring numbers. And in and, and the few times that I have, much more often than not, I've gotten burned. Um, we don't need to talk about Juan Nicasio from last year <laughs> and how much I spent on him in auctions. But right. uh, that was a good reminder to me uh, to not, not over, uh, overplay those spring numbers. That said, the big producer from uh, Sunday was Tyler Glasnow, who... Uh, Greg Jewett and I actually talked about on Sunday's show uh, just because there's a little bit of a fuzzy situation at the back of the Pirates rotation and Glass now would need to have a big spring to break camp with the team as a starter. And good start for him. Two innings, he faced seven batters, he struck six of them out. And no walks. So again, talking about pitchers with a history of control problems who don't display those control problems in spring, very, very good beginning for Tyler Glass now. Uh, Jess, what are your thoughts on, on Glass now? Well, it's the same thing. You don't want to get your hopes up, but at the same time, he's confident. He's feeling good. And his catcher said, you know, was, his catcher was feeling great about it too. That's what I look for when I am talking to a pitcher during spring training. If they feel healthy, that makes me happy. But he's feeling good, you know, any sort of scenario because these guys are going to be open about, you know, I'm not feeling too good because – during the regular season, they'll probably not say much because they do want that playing time. During spring training, they're not as worried about it. He was very confident. He had a really good outing. And like I said, um, his, his coaching staff was super excited about it. Everybody around the locker room seemed to be really confident. And him himself, you know, did as well. So that is kind of what I concentrate on. But again, like you mentioned, don't get your your hopes up. Don't get too excited because it is just spring training. They're not going to They have a different mentality about it and, and all of that, so that's something to concentrate on. But, you know, he seems confident, and that's all we can really hope for as far as his health goes at this point. Right, yeah, so in terms of the health, in terms of the, you know, the control issues, it's it's going to be a work in progress for Tyler Glass now, and for him especially, because he's, you know, he's recognized the problems, uh, the organization has recognized the problems that he's had, mm-hmm. and he's made several changes that he's implementing, you know, this spring as, you know, as we're seeing him pitch. He's altered his changeup grip. He's using the changeup more. Uh, this is all, uh, this was all reported in a uh, game recap from MLB.com. Uh, 
And he also added a slide step to his delivery. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these things can, in fact, a couple of weeks back, I had a, a cricketer on the show, Scott Styrus. And so as, as somebody who you know, is an actual professional athlete, you know, I asked him about how difficult is it to make these sorts of mechanical changes? And he said, it's very difficult and, and it's, it's extremely hard to, to make them stick. So even if you see good results, like in this two inning outing, or even if you saw it for go for a month, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to stick longer term. So, uh, right. Really right. And a lot of times too much patience. they don't, yeah, they don't like the term, you know, changing, they'll say altering or, you know, changing it up a little bit. But when you hear the word change, you're kind of like, oh crap, what does that mean? A lot of times they want to say, you know, we're altering it. We're resetting, if you will. Um, at FanRag, Robert Murray recently talked to uh, Taiwan Walker and he's saying that he's quote resetting. You don't want to say changing. You don't want to freak everybody out. You don't want to exaggerate and change anything. Like let's just adjust the work with it. You're obviously dealing with a new pitcher in certain scenarios and that kind of thing. But yeah, he, I think he adjusted his um, um, glass now, adjusted his changeup grip. He's working on making his delivery a little bit more compact. When you hear stuff like that, you're not as worried. It's like, okay, well, he's adjusting. He's fixing things up. He's not changing it. It's not too bad. So that's always something good in regards to that. And and I'm kind of happy going into a fantasy league thinking, is he doing something too crazy where I should be worried? And in this case, he's not. And that's something really, really good if, if he's on any type of your radar going into any type of draft. Yeah, no, that's a good point that you make, Jess, about kind of the – the psychological uh, management of, of these changes, adjustments, whatever, <laughs> whatever they're called. Yeah. Uh, I spoke with somebody in the Astros uh, player development uh, organization uh, last year, not to, you know, not for this show, obviously, because the show has been on that long, but uh, for, for some other work I was doing. And he said the exact same thing, that it's, it really has to be managed very, very carefully. So mm-hmm. uh, I'd like to spend a little bit more time on, on some things from Sunday, but we'll also be forward-looking And we'll do all of that in the next segment coming up next. Welcome back, everybody, to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Alan Melchior, and with me today is Jessica Kleinschmidt, also from FanRag. And uh, during the break, I just made a quick trip over to Twitter. Just, you know, want to keep you up on the latest news in case you're not looking at Twitter while you're listening to our show. And uh, didn't see anything there, but Jess, I did see you tweeted that you are on the verge of losing your voice. So um, I'm glad that you're <laughs> holding it together, at least for, for our show here. <laughs> I've got I've got this. I feel like, you know, how you can just feel it coming. And I think it was honestly after on Friday's episode with you, I felt a little like little cough in my throat. And I'm like, oh, it's coming. It is coming. But I'm mentally prepared for it and I'll make sure that I get all the drugs and stuff I need and, and tea to drink and I'll be, I'll be good to go. I can't be losing my voice before baseball season. Who does that? Like, that's embarrassing. I can't do that. Yeah. It's uh, I guess it's sort of our equivalent of dead arm. Maybe I, you know, I don't know, but you're, but you're prepared <laughs> yeah. for it. So yes, we're, we're, absolutely. We're, we're, we're professionals here. So excellent. All right. Well, uh, let's just uh, round up yesterday's, uh, Big uh, standouts a little bit. Now, the big one, of course, is Tyler Glass. Now, we talked about him. Uh, eagerly looking forward to his next appearance. Cody Bellinger already making some noise. Mm-hmm. I think just in the week or so, not even week, uh, of spring training games, I've gotten more Twitter questions about Cody Bellinger than probably any other player 
homered again uh, yesterday. Uh, actually, I say again, I think that was his first of the spring, uh, but homered against the Brewers. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of prospects go, it seems like this year there's not quite as much hype as the last couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's in part because a lot of the big prospects last year, a lot of them didn't pan out the way people hoped for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Cody Bellinger uh, is one that a lot of fantasy owners, and I think rightfully so, are watching very closely. How excited are you about Bellinger for this year, and what, what are your expectations? I've been pretty high on him since last season. Um, I didn't, I've never physically seen him play, but um, every time I talk to Jonathan Mayo of MLB.com, Bellinger seems to be brought up and as part of like one of the top prospects to really get excited about, especially because when you're coming from like a triple A mentality where a lot of people are, um, you're not going to be thinking about that, but he's, he's just ridiculously has all this power has a great body. The only thing that I'm concerned with is the fact that he's he's a natural first baseman, and you ha- he has to worry about Adrian Gonzalez if there's any sort of promotion factor in his mind. However, he's also been playing in the outfield as well, so that could you know maybe boost his promotion impact possibly. But in and of itself, when it comes to Bellinger, like he's got the power, he's strong. He proved that in spring training. We obviously know it is just spring training, but even in the minors, he did really really well. And I and you know obviously you have to continue to watch him as far as that goes. But I'm super excited. He's I think he's going to do great this season. Whether it is whether he does get a promotion in the later months, maybe, or if he does just put a phenomenal show on for the PCL, you never really know. Um, I think he's definitely going to start off the season, hopefully in AAA, if not AA, and he'll be promoted rather quickly. So it'll be definitely something to watch. But there is that factor of he does play the first base position, which that's pretty much taken over. If he does move to the outfield, there's other spots he's got to be worried about, too. So too much of a good thing when it comes to the Dodgers is his only problem. It is, yeah. Just when you thought that they already had enough outfielders uh, <laughs> playing right. Bellinger in the outfield this spring, in all three outfield positions, and that in particular is something I find very encouraging because, like you, Jess, I don't doubt the skill set for Bellinger. A whole lot of power there uh, could be a real on-base threat, but uh, it's the playing time, and right. he's pr- he's not going to get at first base unless uh, Adrian Gonzalez is seriously hurt, and it doesn't doesn't appear that he is, and. He's going to have to rely on the outfield. And and we talk a lot about how the Dodgers have this crowded outfield. But by the same token, other than Jock Peterson, there's nobody there who I think is beyond getting demoted either to the minors or to a bench role, including Asiel Puig. So mm-hmm. I think if, if Puig has a, a bad start, if Andrew Tolles doesn't come on the way that he did in the latter part of last year, and I think Tolles is widely presumed to be the left fielder, but uh, not you know, carved in, in stone that he will be. And then, of course, you've got platoon types like uh, Trace Thompson. Uh, uh, I know I'm forgetting somebody here. There's somebody. Oh, uh, Franklin Gutierrez. Uh, right. You know, or, and then we haven't even mentioned uh, yet Andre Ethier. So, yeah, still a very crowded situation. Yet none of those names I mentioned to me are players that should prevent Bellinger from getting a call up this year. And I would think possibly earlier than later. If he gets off to a really hot start in the PCL, and I would just assume that's where he's going to begin, that it would not surprise me at all to see Cody Bellinger in the Dodgers outfield sometime in like May. And I I agree. And the thing I like about the Dodgers is they're not scared to promote. They're not scared to promote, which I really love that. I love any organization who does that. Um, I mean, obviously I was watching Peter O'Brien a lot last year and I think they were only scared because when he did get promoted, 
he didn't pretty bad. But, you know, it, that's neither here nor there. But when it comes to the Dodgers, I definitely like how they're not scared. If the guy's doing well, they'll promote him. Even for, a, you know, a quick little rehab stint, they want them to get a little bit of the rehabilitation in. But if they see him doing good, they'll get their shot. And what, what's the worst case scenario? What, you go back to AAA and you dominate in AAA? Like, that's not a bad scenario. I know it's different mentality because the guys hate getting demoted no matter what the situation is. But Dodgers won't be scared to promote him if he, if he plays well. Well, I am not scared of the Dodgers not being scared. In fact, I'm not <laughs> So that's all good. And in sort of a similar vein, somebody who certainly uh, seems to be ready for a full-time role, in fact, held one down for much of last year, Aaron Perez with the Brewers. Uh, mm-hmm. He played on Sunday. At, he started at first base and went two for three with a double. And that's really encouraging to see, not just the good performance, because, again, who cares about one spring training game? But the fact right. that he got some time at first base and he could be a platoon option uh, for Eric Thames. He already, I think, is viewed as a platoon option for Travis Shaw. And certainly the more places that Perez is prepared to play, I think that that can only help him. Yeah, no, he is like, you want to talk about a super utility player, um, like third base, right field, second base, center field. And obviously you can, if you're and yeah, you mentioned first base as well. Like, and he even played, I think shortstop, which is the original position. So the guy can, you can place him anywhere. And that's great. And I think he'll excel at any position. Obviously you did mention the spring training scenario and I, and I get it. We can, we're going to say that every single moment this time around, but he still had a solid, you know, uh, line last year and he definitely put his name on the map. And I, I don't really think he's going to be too, you know, worried about getting his chances. Um, and he's very valuable and he's very valuable. Uh, what they said, like the seven different spots on the field, like the sky's the limit for this kid. And I, or he's not really a kid. He's 25. I don't know if you call that 25 anymore, a kid. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but there's certain, uh, there's, there's, there's a spot for him, which is great no matter what happens. And in this case, when it comes to obviously depending on what organization you're playing in, that doesn't hurt your appeal at all. I mean, I guess it depends. Like for me, I, I know a lot of people would rather be great at one thing than good at a lot of things. But when it comes to this scenario, him being good at a lot of things is just going to benefit him more. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the thing is with Perez, he may never nailed down the starting role this year, but he's, mm-hmm. he could have sort of what I think of as Gerard Dyson type of appeal back when Dyson was with the Royals, where most of the time he didn't have a starting role, but he would start here, start there, or fill in as a, an injury replacement, get maybe 300 plate appearances, but he would, that would be enough to get you your stolen bases, you know, get you your 30 plus stolen bases. And I think right. that Perez has that kind of potential where you know, he could get 300, 400 plate appearances and still really be a substantial help with stolen bases mm-hmm. and, and not hurt you elsewhere enough that uh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want him in a roto league. So let's look ahead now uh, to some of the pitchers that have pitched today and some that actually are just getting underway. A couple just getting underway mm-hmm. now, Patrick Corbin starting for the Diamondbacks against the Red, Reds and Lucas Giolito in uh, a crosstown rivalry taken to Arizona for the White Sox against the Cubs. Uh, those two just getting started. But we've uh, already seen Lance Lynn pitch against the, the Nationals, Blake Snell against mm-hmm. the Phillies. Uh, that was the game I was watching just before the show here. I really wanted to see Snell. And uh, Joe Musgrove against the Mets. So did you happen to catch uh, any of them? I know you're getting ready for the show and you know, got a lot of things going on. But uh, like I said, I watched Snell. I wanted to see how he did. 
Um, if we're being honest, no. <laughs> okay, that's fair. But, you know, but I'm just being honest. Yeah, it was just kind of, there was, you have to kind of get what you can get. Like, I just turn on MLB Network and whatever is on is on kind of deal. Right. Um, and I, so I was just really excited to watch the Orioles bats. But that was kind of what I was paying attention to. That's what I got on this set, which makes sense. You know, why not put a Nevada situation? I'm going to be watching the Orioles and the Yankees. That makes so much damn sense. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but, you know, when it comes to Lance Lynn, I'm, I'm definitely excited to see what he does. He had that elbow surgery uh, or the Tommy John surgery, and he's older. So it, it's definitely a dynamic that I'm kind of wondering how that'll turn out obviously Tommy John he's been my MVP for what three my Cy Young award winner for three seasons in a row now so it's definitely kind of something that I'm wanting to watch and you know they're comparing him and he's in a difficult you know or not a difficult but started 31 games for the Cardinals in 2015 and he had that strong ERA and that strong war over you know 175 plus innings so it's definitely something I'm looking forward to and I'm always worried about somebody who went through Tommy John it was a while ago um, so it'll be interesting to see. Um, but beyond that, I mean, we'll, I mean, we'll see what happens. I didn't really watch his um, outing. I don't really know how it went, but he's a guy that I'm definitely excited to see what he does um, heading into to this season. Yeah. I think in fact, all three that have already pitched went two innings with one run. Uh, right. The only one I actually watched was Snell and it wasn't, it wasn't an impressive looking performance, but I was really focused on the control, which was something I talked about in the last segment. Uh, Snell's control problems were as bad as anybody's last year. It, well, that wasn't really what got him. If anything, he was maybe in the zone a little bit too much against the Phillies, um, but right. still escaped with just the one run um, uh, over the two innings, but allowing, uh, I think, four base runners, either three or four. Uh, it's just not a, not a great outing for Snell. But again, we're, we're just kind of looking for hints here. Uh, of what might change for for pitchers, Joe Musgrove. You know, I'd certainly be interested to see um, if he's if he's going to pitch well enough to pro- probably not win a spot outright, but be maybe right. the the next person in line for the Astros. Corbin and Giolito, both very interesting to me. Giolito again, probably not starting the year in the White Sox, but I think with a great spring, maybe he earns mm-hmm. that. And another one who's had on and on again, off again control issues. Uh, didn't seem to be a problem, or no, I'm sorry, actually, he has just started pitching, so I don't know about Giolito. Um, Corbin really fascinates me, and I had a draft yesterday where I actually picked him up. Last 19 innings, we're, I'm just going to finish up on this because we have to head to break in a minute. Last 19 innings, which were all out of the bullpen last year for Corbin, horrible season otherwise, allowed a 17% hard contact rate, which is minuscule, a 13% whiff rate, which is elite, and a 74% ground ball rate. Now, the, again, it's in relief. It's a whole different animal, but you know, still 19 innings. I mean, that, that really excites me for Patrick Corbin potentially being a starter again for the, for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Me too. I hope he does well. I really do. I hope everybody on the Diamondbacks staff does well. Well, and, and uh, yeah, I'm sure they do too. So uh, there's like, you talk about <laughs> Taiwan Walker. Uh, he's another one who's got a lot riding yeah. on this, uh, this season. So uh, with that wrap up, uh, we're going to head into break and come back and focus in even more on starting pitchers. We'll be right back. This is FanRack Fantasy Baseball. I am your host, Al Melchior. I'm joined today by Jessica Kleinschmidt from FanRag. And we have been talking 
starting pitchers. You could call it starting pitcher palooza because this week on FanRag Sports, uh, in our ongoing fantasy draft guide, we have turned the page from uh, last week's outfield preview to this week's starting pitcher preview. Uh, and at some point, probably any time now today, uh, you're going to be able to view our starting pitcher rankings 1 through 75. Those are consolidated rankings uh, of uh, myself and uh, Greg Jewett, Jim Finch, uh, the three of us. We've been doing individual rankings and then putting them together just for you in one set of pitcher rankings. So those will be up uh, later on today. And uh, I also checked in, Jess, on a couple of pitchers that we had talked about just before the break, Patrick Corbin and Lucas Giolito. Giolito mm-hmm. is one inning into that game against the Cubs. Scoreless inning for Giolito. Corbin's gone okay. two scoreless with three strikeouts. So nice nice work by them. So Do they have they... – I, I, I haven't looked at their um, the rosters who he's tossing to. Are they as a starter? Is there some of the spring training guys? Uh, you know, I really just looked – Though that's a, that's an important question, and <laughs> I looked real quickly just at the line, so I don't know what the the lineups look like. Um, oh, okay. So maybe be, before the next break, I can <laughs> check that out. By the way, <laughs> it was an honest question. <laughs> Sorry. You know what? No, that, that that was a that was an excellent <laughs> question, and you know, Baseball Reference, which is a, an indispensable tool for all of us, and they uh, just uh, last week had they unveiled a redesign, which is wonderful. And made a great site even better. But one of those really, the really, really cool things about baseball references in spring training, and I haven't had a chance to check this out yet, but in the past, when they've had spring training stats on the site, they have had a degree of difficulty index for oh, okay. I think every pitcher. I don't recall, I don't think they had it for the hitter, maybe for the hitter, but for sure for the pitcher. Um, the level, and they have like a one through 10 ranking system based on the level that their opponents have played at really, really useful stuff because if you are going to put some stock in spring training stats, and again, you have to be very careful about doing that, but at least you could see what is the mean level of uh, experience and, and uh, level of competition that their opponents have had really useful stuff. So I will check that out later and see, I would imagine they still have it. I'm sure they didn't take away great stuff. They just added a lot of great stuff. So baseball reference, there you go. Um, so getting back to starting pitcher week uh, at FanRag uh, with our fancy guide uh, being unveiled later today. Jess, um, I don't want to give away too much because we t- not only give our rankings, but we give our sleepers mm-hmm. and the players that we're avoiding and the boomer bust type pitchers. Uh, that's all coming later this week. But I'm wondering if you have some short lists in these categories to share with us. So maybe starting with sleepers. Who are some of the pitchers in your upcoming drafts or maybe the drafts you've already done that uh, you're targeting that you think are, are value starting pitchers? Okay. I have a question for you, Mr. Al Melchior. All right. Do you think, do you think Sonny Gray is a boom? Is, is he a bust or is he a sleeper this year? Oh, definitely a sleeper. And okay. I can, I can, okay. I can say that because he's not one of the guys I'm actually going to write about, <laughs> but I did, Perfect. I did, I did consider featuring him in my sleeper column because okay uh yeah so anyways well that that's that's my general take on it but it sounds like you've got you've got more to say about mr sonny gray so i'm kind of torn in that ass in in this situation i mean and it, and the, what i like to do is i like to see what people are saying about p- pitchers that are kind of on 
you know, the tipsy turvy top. And when it comes to a DFS perspective, that's the annoying, the price range. They're not going to be the expensive guys, but they're not going to be the cheap guys. They're going to be the guys that they're annoying, nor annoying monetary value. And you're like, well, that sucks. I don't know if that's a lot of money I should spend on him or if I can go to more hard, more hard towards the, you know, the stack options for like a Colorado Rocky scenario at Coors. But when it comes to Sonny, I honestly have no idea. And there's certain people that could talk me into him being a sleeper. But then on the other hand, I'm like, there's no way in heck I would ever have him on any of my lineups. But when you do look at the scenario with him being somebody that you could go for, it's not that bad. And, that has a lot, you know, he has a consistent lack of strikeouts, but if you're looking at it from the negative side, um, especially from um, a fantasy perspective, and the 18.2 uh, strikeout rate last year really wasn't enough to pique my interest in regards to putting him as a sleeper pick. However, if you want to go a little bit deeper than that, I know he's got a lot of pressure on him this year, um, but if you were to ask me quickly, if I were to look at him as a sleeper or a bust kind of deal, he's more of a bust for me, but I really want to be proven wrong. He's one of the guys where I'm like, hey, if I put all my money in on staying away from him and he proves me wrong, I'm going to be excited about it. And so that's definitely my type of scenario. So he's more of a bust for me. Um, but I, I don't know if there's any trade type of value for him in regards to fantasy aspect. So he's a big question mark for me. Um, but as far as a positive guy that I'm really excited to watch this season is going to be Dylan Bundy um, and that and Tyler Anderson. Um, but my, I really am excited more towards Tyler Anderson. And the reason why is because people, people get scared. They're like, why would you ever go for a guy who's throwing at cores? Like, that's stupid. Like before you get on me for that, but you know, there's, why what could he be like in a full season scenario a dfs perspective you're lucky you can just kind of drop it like it's hot but his numbers look pretty good in regards to you know whether he's pitching at cores or not he does um have the first round type of i guess pizzazz if you will um but he just because he did reach the big leagues for the first time last season um he made uh, quite a few starts through a lot of innings at 3.54 era and then had a pretty stellar fifth as well so he, he didn't really, you know, it's 7.8 strikeouts per nine innings. Walking was good. So he's definitely there. So I kind of like his aspects. And people are going to be freaking out, looking at me all weird, like, really, you're going to take a guy that is going to be pitching at cores a bunch? Hell yeah, I am. And don't judge me. And he's the guy He's the guy I'm excited about. So he's younger. He's somebody that's been kind of on my radar last season um, as well. So he was somebody that I was excited about. But um, what are your thoughts on, on Anderson? Oh, I, I love where you're going with this because, um, yeah, I, th- I think that there's that, that thinking about him, that uh, he's a Rockies pitcher. He can't be trusted, even though he put up really nice results last year. Um, but I, I think, you know, once in a while, there is a pitcher that can solve the core course effect and keep the ball down in cores. And, uh, mm-hmm. he's, he was able to do that with his four seamer last year and his cutter. And I, you know, great. The only thing that gives me a little bit of pause with that is because we haven't seen it for a full season yet from Anderson. Right. But, right. um, but again, at the point, and this kind of goes with Sonny Gray too, at the point where you can get either of them, and Anderson, I'm not looking at it from me, but I'm almost positive Anderson's going quite a bit later than Gray, and Gray's going late, um, that you're not really risking anything to get Tyler Anderson. And if he gives you what he did last year, that's going to be quite a, a return on your investment. So I like him a lot. He would be a sleeper for me. And as I mentioned before, so would Sonny Gray too. I, I, I kind of yeah. want to 
we have to you know, move on to some other pitchers. But I actually would like to have a, like a very brief debate with you about Sonny Gray. I don't really okay. see the downside given where he's going in drafts. And maybe again, you, you were talking about a little bit from a DFS perspective. There, you know, it's you know, once you put him in your lineup, you you know, either he's going to help you win or he's going to help you lose. But in terms of drafting him for a year-long league, uh, where what it's going to take to get him, I see pretty much no downside because if he gives you what he gave you last year, you drop him in three weeks, you pick up somebody off a of waiver who's, who's going to be an upgrade. If he's anything close to what he was the previous seasons beforehand, he's going to be one of the biggest pitching bargains, I think, on draft day. Yeah, I, I, I agree. See, that's what sucks about this guy is like, I, if I had one person on the right of me talking me out of him and one guy or girl on the left of me talking me into him, I'd be like, you guys are both right. And I'm not going to like, it would just, it's, it's difficult for me. And, and I'm not even doing the whole bias thing of being an A's fan. Like I'm beyond that when it comes to talking about him, but you know, the, the, his ability to prevent runs really is questionable. And that's, something that is always in the back of my mind, especially from, you know, going towards the negative side. I, I could agree with anybody in, in any pretty much scenario, but he's unfortunately I'm leaning more towards a bust for me this time around at this point in my, in my mentality. If well, you I would just say one more thing. And then I know we want to move on to some other things. I do trust gray <laughs> if he's healthy, because while you're right, he's not really a great strikeout pitcher that mm-hmm. he has been very consistent other than last year in his ability to induce soft contact, to avoid uh, hits on balls in play. There are just some pitchers who are really good good like that. John, Johnny Cueto, I think, right. was underrated for years because he mm-hmm. was inconsistent with strikeouts, but he was very consistent in, in getting a low BABIP that kept his ERA and his whip down. I think Sonny Gray is not even the poor man's version, just you know the slightly less affluent man's version of That's of a nicer Cueto. way of, of saying it. I like that. Okay, okay. I'm right. going to use that. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I, I'd be I'd be flattered. So, um, what's <laughs> what uh, what pitchers? Now you, it kind of sounds like Gray is more of a pitcher you'd avoid than target. Mm-hmm. But who are some pitchers that you are just clearly going to avoid? Who you will be shocked if you wind up with with one of these pitchers this year? Um, I really don't like Jeff Samarja, and I think it's it's been a redundant scenario where he pitches at a pitcher's park, but he doesn't take advantage of it. And it's, you know, there's more, it's, you know, he's got this disastrous, horrific ERA um, reduction in ground balls um, from what he, he had a 15, 50.2% ground ball rate at one point in 2014. Now he's at 39%. Um, and you, his reduction of his two seam fastball. Um, and it's just, I, I get it. You're pitching for the most part um, at, um, AT&T and it's just kind of that scenario, but he's not taking advantage of the fact that you could be doing phenomenal there. And I just, every time I see him, I can't do it. And that's from not only a season long perspective, that's from a DFS perspective, pretty much any type of scenario. I'm just not, you know, high on him. His case, I'm hoping will bump up a little bit this year, but it's not to the point where I'm super hyped on him. Um, especially with everything going on with uh, those giant pitchers, it's not something that I'm really getting excited about. Um, unless he has this crazy dramatic comeback and I'll be eating my words, but he's just somebody I can't get into. I just can't do it. Yeah, I can't either. I can't remember the last time I had some Arj on the roster, but yeah, I'm surprised that he's, Going and and you know still going in the middle rounds. I mean, to me, he, there's really not much that that separates him from a lot of pitchers 
that are going much later. So I'm, I'm with you there on Samarja. So no, no debate there. Uh, all right. Well, mm-hmm. you know, we talked about some mid-round uh, pitchers you could target. We're going to talk about late-round flyers uh, in our final segment and uh, actually uh, look at some positions other than pitcher. But uh, who uh, who's on your, your queue to uh, target late in the drafts when you need to fill some vacancies? We will talk about that when we come back. Welcome back to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. This is Al Melchior, your host for the remainder of this hour. And joining me today is Jessica Kleinschmidt. And Jess, uh, we talked a little bit earlier in the show, in fact, the last segment, uh, updating on some of the spring training action, some pitchers that I've got my eye on. And you asked me a great question because we were talking about Lucas Giolito and Patrick Corbin. Uh, off to good starts in their outings today. And you said, well, who's in the lineup? <laughs> and I didn't have an answer for you because I just looked at the line score real quick during the break. So uh, in this last break, I looked and, uh, well, first of all, no further update on uh, on Corbin. But Giolito is now in his second inning, and he began it by giving up a solo shot to Addison Russell. So uh, Okay, that's not bad. I mean, yeah. you know. I would do the same. I would do the exact same. No deal. Uh, oh, yeah. I'd do a lot worse than that because then he went on to retire Miguel Montero and Wilson Contreras, both on strikeouts, by the way, for Giolito. Uh, I definitely wouldn't be able to do that. And um, and he just walked John Jay, which I would have done. And uh, so Giolito now, in, uh, ending in two-thirds, has given up uh, just the one run, uh, the solo shot, and he's allowed just the one walk to Jay. But he's facing... The Cubs lineup. Uh, they've got Montero there as DH, but otherwise, this is the everyday Cubs lineup. So, eh, okay, not bad. Good for him. Not bad of you. Good for, good for Lucas Giolito, and uh, yes. also providing a very smooth segue for me as I'm looking at this Cubs lineup because uh, batting in the cleanup spot and playing second base is Ben Zobrist, and mm. Zobrist wound up being uh, kind of a spoiler for me yesterday. Uh, in a dynasty points league draft that uh, I had. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is actually a league that's run by my former colleague, Scott White at CBS. Great, uh, great group, super deep league, lots of fun. And so it's keeper league. So you, you determine who you keep, uh, you know, at a, at a given dollar value, and then you fill in the rest with an auction. And one of, I didn't, I kept a lot of players. I didn't have a lot of vacancies to fill. But one glaring vacancy for me was second base, and I never really had a great mm-hmm. person, to, a great producer to, to fill in at second last year. And a lot of the second basemen were kept over from last year. So there was Ben Zobrist out there, and then the next best option was probably uh, Brandon Phillips. So Ooh. a big drop off there. And then yeah. even after Brandon Phillips, then it, then it really got even shallower. And so the the bidding on Zobrist went up. Uh, I think he went for thirty dollars. Uh, but I, even though I had quite a bit of money, uh, I did have some other things to fill, and it just seemed too expensive. So I backed off, and I really regret it now. Um, <laughs> so, but this right. also then for me inspired uh, something that we could talk about in terms of late round flyers, because I was in a situation where I whiffed on on Zobrist, I whiffed on uh, uh, Phillips. And I thought, okay, this is fine. Uh, you know, there's still Howie Kendrick out there. There's Colton Wong. There's Josh Harrison. 
And and then I you know I, I started really bidding in earnest, but because there was such scarcity, I lost out about all those guys. <laughs> so I wound right. up with Dilson Herrera, who almost certainly will, will start in the minor leagues unless the uh, Reds do trade Zach Cozart. And I haven't heard anything on that front in quite a long time. And uh, you know and then they could shift um, uh, Jose Peraza over to shortstop. But uh, so I've got Dilson Herrera, and since I don't expect him to begin the year in the major leagues, I needed somebody to play. So I picked up Adam Rosales, who's going to be a utility player who is second base eligible for the A's. And Adam Frazier, who I like because I think Jung Ho Gong could be out for, for quite a long time. Josh Harrison has said he's open to filling in at third. That could open up second base for Frazier. So I really kind of hit the, the bottom of the barrel in a sense. They're not to to you know, demean the abilities of Herrera, Rosales, and Frazier because I, I, you know, I, there were other options and I, I kind of devised a strategy to, to cobble those three together because I think right. they all have some promise. So anyways, just an example of how I handled the position where all of my first and second choice options were gone. Are there positions where you foresee that you may be in a similar situation and certain players that you're like, okay, if I've hit rock bottom, Here's a player I can at least be semi-excited about. Are there any positions like that for you? I mean, I will use any excuse to talk about Mitch Haniger. Um, so <laughs> it's kind of a, it's any excuse. Like somebody could be like deep in like a starting pitcher talk. And I'm like, well, you know, I think he pitched, he went against Mitch Haniger five years ago. And, uh, you know, just like any excuse. But when it comes to him, I'm trying to keep him as quiet as possible just because he's one of my guys that I'm just pumped on when it comes to like any sort of outfield position, um, you know, him and then uh, Graychick as well. But um, when it comes to Haniger, the reason why I love him so much is because I mean, he's going to have to adjust. I'm kind of nervous about the fact where he is going from Chase Field to Safeco, but I'm more nervous about Taiwan Walker going from Safeco to Chase. So I'm not too as far as like that trade goes. But mm-hmm. he was phenomenal over two minor league teams last season, and when he was brought up, he did have a rather solid campaign. Um, his plate approach is improving, and even though he's at Safeco and he's not used to that um, hitting type of environment, I really think he's going to do well. And his competition isn't as fierce in that position when it comes to others. You know, there's a couple of younger guys um, that are going to be vying for that position. Of course, uh, Danny Valencia as well, but Jerry Depoto himself is just saying that this guy Haniger is way more polished and way more prepped for the big so that could easily be something to kind of indicate okay he might get more playing time than we're willing to admit um so he's one of my guys where I'm like I'm, I'm I always have my eye on him he's that type of you know mental state that I have with him and the the thing about Jock Peterson is I think he has a sexier name than he is actually putting up you know um, he had 25 bombs and um, an okay amount of runs an okay amount of RBIs but he dealt he dealt with quite a bit of a regression back and forth over the last two seasons and every time I watch him hit it makes me, it gives me the heebie-jeebies. So he's another outfielder that I'm like, well, maybe he might be around because maybe people are starting to realize like he could be a, um, a scenario where not necessarily an injury, but he has those spots where he's just going to die, um, whether it's the first half of the season or the second half of the season. So I think he could be more of a late rounder pick. And I don't know what mentality people are going to be looking at him in that aspect. It depends on the type of league you're in and what kind of people are actually paying attention to a guy like that. Um, I don't think he's going to get snagged as early as people might 
um, attempt him to be, but his ADP is rather fair. So it depends on how you're looking at it that, but guys like that are, you know, luckily I'm the type of girl where I've been paying attention a lot in the rookie and prospects when it comes to specifically the PCL, but those guys like that, like if you can get them on your team, Oh my gosh, not only are you going to be excited because you probably didn't spend a lot of money, but they could be a high production value as well. Well, yeah, and I like Peterson and, and Hanniger an awful lot. And my only worry is that because of people like you and me, that and a lot of others, not to give ourselves too much credit, but but you know, <laughs> a lot of people really I think starting to hype them up because they see what we see. You know, they they see right. that, you know, Peterson had a very strong second half that he he's gonna get on base a lot unless he really uh really declines badly and there's no reason to to expect that or you know Hanniger faring pretty well like you said coming up with the Diamondbacks last year and having a massive power breakout and the news from the other day something that uh we talked a little bit about on Sunday's show that Hanniger is aiming to steal 20 bases because Scott Service as the manager has said you're, you're going to get the green light from me. So all these little, mm. you know, stories and the statistical trends, you know, people, people follow this stuff. And uh, yeah. I, I worry about them not being there in that rock bottom kind of situation that I was describing right. with my team from, from yesterday's auction. So uh, we've got just a, a little bit of time left here, Jess. Is there anybody you could dig even deeper for uh, that, uh, you know, you would like, uh, whether it's outfield or another position, you know, somebody who you feel even more confident would be there in that situation. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I didn't, I kind of get nervous when it comes to deeper stuff. I kind of, honestly, I like send them to a friend of mine who I will not name because like, let's <laughs> be honest. Um, but when it comes to, to the outfield scenario, I mean, you have to really be careful because you don't know who, you know, you going to be careful of injuries and stuff like that. Just kind of pay attention to, you know, the rookies and the prospects in that scenario. First base is going to be super deep across a lot of, of different teams this year. So pay attention to those as well. Um, and cause you never really know. You know. Jess, uh, yeah, sorry to cut you off. We are we we are not only deep in the auctions and drafts, we're very deep in this podcast. We're almost out of time. So, Jess, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, look forward to seeing you again, uh, on here again uh, next week. And uh, stay tuned for the rotation with Gary and Thorne. Have a great day, everybody. 